Well, thanks for that, Owen. Thanks for sharing this week's verse. And man, I miss seeing you, buddy. Uh, and, and thank you to my lovely bride for leading us through our kids' story this week. And, and actually, both Amy and I want to say thank you to all of you, to our church family, for, for blessing us with some time away. Uh, as a family, we were able to get away to the mountains of Montana for a week, and we stayed in this, this beautiful little cabin up near Glacier National Park. And uh, being there in Montana was a little bit like being in an oasis. Um, not only was it a gorgeous area, but when it comes to COVID-19, Montana hasn't been hit nearly as hard as Washington has. So, so their restrictions there weren't as um, restricting. It, it was a nice breath of fresh air. Uh, no, no pun intended on that one. But really, while we were there, for the first time in months, uh, Amy and I just went out to dinner we're at a restaurant uh, we enjoyed a, a nice evening together, and, and it felt uh, a little bit like, like life was back to, to normal. As a family, while we were there, we were able to go and do things without feeling like we had to stop and check whether or not our destination was actually going to be open or what their requirements were. And we still brought our masks, and we wore them where it was prudent, but we felt a lot less restrained than, than back here in Washington. So it was it was a nice little season in the, the oasis that is the mountains of Montana. But then we headed back home. And, and although we were eager to get back home to our house and our beds and our family and our friends and our, and our church, uh, things do feel different here. Uh, life is more restricted here uh, because of the amount of COVID in our community and, and our local government's response to it. Life feels much more restrained here. And with those, those feelings of being restrained, there can come some frustration. Now, I think I'm just stating the obvious on this one, but I think people are more frustrated around here. And I think a lot of that frustration has to deal with their attitude towards those who are in authority. Right now, some people are frustrated with those who are in authority because, because they feel like there are too many restrictions right now. They argue that our government is overreaching right now. And so they don't want to wear the masks when they go out and interact with other people. They get frustrated with the guidelines for social interaction or with the regulations on local businesses or on us as churches. They feel like the government right now is overreaching and might actually be conspiring for our ruin instead of working for our health or our protection. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe that's a little bit of how you feel this morning. Or maybe this morning you're, you're frustrated, but it's because you feel like the authority, those in authority aren't taking all of this seriously enough. Maybe you would say when, when comparing the response of the United States to other countries around the world that we should be doing a lot more than we are. Maybe you're frustrated with people who, who aren't wearing their masks when they're out and about or, or following the guidelines or, or with leaders who seem to be encouraging that kind of behavior. Maybe you too find yourself frustrated with those in authority right now, but it's not because of, of some perceived overreach. It's more because you feel like there is an apathy or a carelessness right now by those in, in our government. So all that to say, there's a lot of frustration going around, and a lot of it centers on those who are in authority over us. But, but the question then for all of us is, is, how do we deal with this then? How do we deal with this? How are we to face challenging authority? 
What, what is God's wisdom for our lives when, when our desires and our purposes and our plans clash with those who are in authority over us? How do we handle it when we disagree with those in authority? Or, or when we don't feel like they're approaching things the right way, the wise way? Or when maybe we wonder if they actually have our best interests at heart? This is a really, these are really important questions for us, especially right now in our, our current cultural climate. How does God desire us, us as Christian people, to approach challenging, difficult authority? Well, that's actually the question that we're going to dive into this morning. But uh, I'm addressing this this morning, not simply because I just really want to talk about it. <laughs> that's honestly not what's on my heart. Uh, actually, I didn't sit down and decide this is the topic I want to preach on this morning. The, the Word of God actually made that decision for me. You see, this issue is simply the next issue raised in our current study of Ecclesiastes. This morning, after a few weeks off from vacation, Pastor David, the last few weeks, taking us through God's love from 1 John, this morning, I'm just picking up right where I left off before I went on vacation. This morning, we're going back to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. We're starting in the very next chapter, chapter 8. And guess what? Guess what happens there in chapter 8? This topic of our response to authority, and specifically our response to governing authorities, is the very next topic raised in this book. Funny how the Lord always knows what we need to hear, isn't it? So, if you haven't done so already, I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 8. So Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and chapter 8. And this morning, I just want to give a real simple outline for our text. Uh, when it comes to, to dealing with challenging authority, with, with difficult authority and our response to it, our text here, it shows us two things to do. So you ready? Here's the simple outline. First, check your face. And second, check your approach. Check your face, check your approach. That's my simple two-point outline for this morning. So now let's, let's dive into this text, our text for this morning, the first four verses here in chapter 8. And let's start with this first point, this call to, to check your face. And i got to be honest with you, for some reason, when, when I say that point, I hear Carol Tyndall's voice in my head. I can just hear her saying, hey, check your face. <laughs> Ryan, check your face. But really, that's, that's what we're being told here in verse 1. So go ahead and look at the text with me here in verse 1. Solomon asked this question, look at it. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face is changed. The hardness of his face is changed. Now, what we need to understand is that this verse is really an invitation to wisdom. It's, it's a call, it's a summons from the preacher here in Ecclesiastes, who again is most likely King Solomon, but it's a summons from him, and he is inviting us to embrace the way of wisdom. But he raises that invitation here as a question. He, he actually asks this very important question. Again, look at the text. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? And, and you can almost feel, as he, as he asks that question, you almost feel this preacher looking us right in the eyes and asking us, is that who you? Is that who you? Are you like the wise? Do, do you understand 
how, how to interpret the situations that you find yourself in. Do you, do you have discernment? Can, can you play the moments of life forward and see where a decision will take you? Do you have wisdom? So his question here, it's really an invitation. It's an invitation to wisdom. And beloved, this is an invitation that we, we all need to hear. You see, this invitation is put in the form of a question, who is like the wise? Part of, of what this is stressing here, who is like the wise, is stressing the scarcity of wisdom. Wisdom is very much unlike the coronavirus that, that quickly spreads through a population. Instead, wisdom is more like a valued commodity that's hard to find. And it's hard to find because, because wisdom's not intuitive to us. Uh, we aren't born into this world with, with wisdom just filling our heads and falling out our ears. Instead, we come into this world as, as what the Bible calls the simple. We come into this world as the simple. What that means is we come into this world lacking discernment. We lack that ability to play life's moments forward and understand where they lead. And, and we know this. That's why we need to tell our kids, don't go play in the street or don't touch the hot stove or, or don't become a Mariners fan unless you want a lifetime of pain and disappointment. We come into this world just not knowing any better. But, but it's, not, it's not just that, that we lack discernment. It's not just that we are simple in our thinking. It's also that we come into this world as what the Bible calls the foolish. The foolish. Now in the Bible, especially in the wisdom literature in the Bible, that terminology, the foolish, or those characterized by folly, that describes our, our natural fallen tendency towards being self-serving, towards being even rebellious in our actions. We, we enter this word, world with this, this heart full of folly, with this rebellious heart. That's why Proverbs twenty-two fifteen tells us, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So we need discipline because, beloved, we come into this world as rebels. We've got this rebellion bound up in our heart. And here's the thing. Our natural inclination is to stay that way. Again, this is from Proverbs. This is Proverbs 12, 15, but it says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So, so our own way, that way that rises up from our own understanding, rises up from our rebellious heart, that, that naturally just seems right to us. So what we need then is information from outside of us. We need counsel and advice from outside of us. We need revelation from outside of us. We need the truth of God revealed to us in the word of God. We need to hear and embrace his wisdom so that we too can then become like the wise. That's what this invitation here is driving at. It's calling us to leave behind your simple, foolish ways and pursue this valuable commodity that is God's wisdom. However, as it raises this question, as it gives us this invitation, it also provides us here in verse 1, it provides us here a way to check ourselves when it comes to the wisdom of God. And this is where that call to, to check your face comes into play. You see, this opening question here, who is like the wise, it's not just some rhetorical device given to invite us to pursue wisdom. I mean, it is that, 
But it is also a question here that the preacher then answers. Look at the text. He tells us what the wise are like. He actually gives us this important visual that shows us what they are like. In our text, he says, just look at their face. Just look at their face. There, look at the text. The second half of verse 1, we read, A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. So, so the wise look different. Wisdom changes them. And, and here's the thing. It doesn't just change the way that we act. It does that. It doesn't just change the things that we do. It does do that. But it actually changes the way that we look. It changes the way that we look. So, so let's talk about this a little bit. Let's reflect on this for a moment. Let's take a moment and just think about your face. Think about your face. What has your face looked like lately? Now, maybe you're saying, well, Ryan, it looks like it's always looked, just keeps getting older, but it looks like it's always has. But, but what I'm asking, what I'm really asking here is lately, do you feel like your face has been shining a lot? Has it been shining a lot lately? And what this is getting at in our text, this idea of your face shining, it's getting at that, that joyful radiance or, or that, that countenance filled with peace or that face that looks favorably upon other people. So has that been the character of your appearance lately? Would you characterize yourself that way? Would other people characterize you that way? That you've had this joyful radiance lately? Or has your face been hard a lot lately? Let me ask the question this way. When someone brings up COVID... Or, or when someone starts talking about the response of the government to the situations going on in our culture, or, or when people start talking about the politics of those in charge, what happens to your face? What happens to your face? Does it harden? Does, you, does your countenance become angry or discouraged? Is there frustration written all over your face? What has your face looked like lately? And here, what this preacher is doing is, he's telling us in his invitation to wisdom, that, that wisdom does do something to us. It does something to our, our face. It actually changes our countenance. It, it, it affects our face. It, it makes it, listen carefully, it makes it all more gentle. It makes it more gentle. It, it removes that hardness that so easily settles upon our face because of all of the anxiety and frustration going on in our heart. Embracing God's wisdom can, can remove that hardness and replace it with a, with a, gentle, a, a, a gentleness, a radiance, a different disposition. And here's the thing. People can see it. People can see it. They see the change. So, so that's the opening invitation here in chapter 8, in this first verse. The, this preacher calls us to wisdom, and he does so by, by telling us, check your face. Check your face. And our face is going to tell us if we are like the wise or if we're still like the simple and the foolish. Our countenance will reveal what's going on in our heart, what's going on with our wisdom or our lack of it. But here's the thing, and this is important. It often reveals that. It often reveals these things in the challenging, difficult, and uncomfortable moments of life. You see, it's, it's pretty easy to have a, 
a gentle face, a joyful countenance when, when you're relaxing in your soaker tub after a long day or you kick back in the mountains of Montana. It's easy to have a joyful countenance. But the wisdom of our heart is exposed on our face when we face challenging situations. And that's just where this preacher turns next in our text. As our text continues, this preacher pushes his readers into a discussion of of wisdom applied in a certain area of life. And that area is authority. Actually, most of the rest of this chapter, uh, in the most rest of the chapter, Solomon is going to deal with this issue of authority and of power. So when it comes to our response to that, when it comes to our response to authority, especially difficult and challenging authority, let me ask you again, what does your face say? What does your countenance reveal? This preacher here, he's saying that the wise, they have this gentle and radiant countenance. But, but if that's not true of us, it, it, whether that's in, in our response to government or a boss or a teacher or a parent, if that's not true of us, then what is that revealing about us? Again, who is like the wise? Is that who? You. Well, check your face. Check your face. And then check your approach. Check your approach. That's the second thing I want to look at this morning. And We see here, starting in verse 2, the preacher lays out the approach of the wise, especially when it comes to those in authority. So let's look together at what he writes. Follow along as I read, starting here in verse 2. I'm going to read verses 2 to 4 here in chapter 8. He tells us, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Who may say to him, what are you doing? Now here, the writer of Ecclesiastes is dealing with with our response to authority. And he is addressing specifically those who are in governing or governmental authority. And the first issue that he raises when he's addressing our approach here is, how's your obedience? When we think through our approach, first question that he raises here is, how's your obedience? So how is your obedience? How is your obedience? Well, let's look together here at the text. Look at the text. He says, keep the king's command. Keep the king's command. And that, that's a call to obedience. When it comes to the command of the king, keep it. Obey it. And, and notice, notice here what he doesn't say. Notice what he doesn't say about obedience. And what I mean here is he doesn't give us a lot of the outs that we often argue for. He doesn't say, keep the king's reasonable command. Or or keep the king's agreeable command. Or or keep the king's comfortable commands. He doesn't even say, keep the king's command if it fits with the the particular philosophy that you hold to the extent and reach and prerogatives of government. No, he simply says, I say, keep the king's command. In other words, obey. Obey. Obey those who are in authority over you. Now, as I point that out from our text, 
I'm sure that some of you are thinking to yourself, well, Ryan, it says keep the king's command, and we don't have a king, so, so Ryan, this really doesn't apply to us. This isn't really relevant to our situation right now. And, and I, I get that. I do understand that this is describing a little different cultural situation than we find ourselves in right now. Yes, right now in America, uh, we don't have a king. No matter what you think of President Trump or, or Governor Inslee, we don't have a king. But what we also need to recognize is that what we are reading here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, it's consistent with what we find all throughout the Bible. Whether it's a king or a governor or a police officer or or another kind of government official, all throughout the Bible, we are called to obey those who have authority over us. Just because it mentions a king here, that, that doesn't give us and out. And I say that because of what we see again in the rest of Scripture. Just listen to this command from the New Testament, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. You can jot down that reference. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And just listen to what Peter says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or as governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So be subject to every human institution. Now let's remember, that was written by Peter to the early church who was dealing with the jacked up leadership of the Roman Empire. Life in those days was way more challenging than someone telling you to put a mask on when you go out in public. But Peter says, be subject. In other words, obey every human institution. And what he's talking about, when he says every human institution, he's talking about all those various forms of human government that exercise authority over us. And here's the thing, the Apostle Paul says pretty much, the same thing. Paul, in his letter to Titus, Titus, who was, was ministering on the very difficult Isle of Crete, uh, Crete where it could be said of their politicians and their leaders that they were all liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. And if you don't get that reference, go read Titus chapter 1. But Paul tells Titus, as, as he's ministering there on the difficult Isle of Crete, he tells Titus, remind them, and he's talking about the Christians there on Crete, remind them to be submissive to rulers and to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And listen to this, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. That's Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. So let's just ask the obvious question. Is that the way you have been? Brother or sister, is that the way that you have been responding to those who are in authority over you? Is that the way that you've been responding? Whether that's our president or our governor or the people running our local health department. How's your obedience been lately towards those in authority? Now, again, I understand that we don't have the same type of government. We're going to have a government where we're under a king. But under our constitution... We do appoint certain leaders to our branches of government, and is it, expect, it is expected that we follow those leaders. 
And if you feel like those leaders are going against the Constitution, the Constitution itself affords us checks and balances and ways to deal with those things. But those ways are not just do whatever you feel is right in your own eyes. That's not what the Founding Fathers envisioned, nor what the Bible calls us to. And here the Bible's calling us to obedience. The way of the wise, the approach of wisdom is to obey those in authority over us. But the obedience that this text describes isn't just focused on our, our actions, what we do. It also deals with our emotions. There, there is actually a call here to control your emotions when it comes to your response to those in authority. Again, look at our text. In verse 3 here we read, Be not hasty to go from his, the, the king's presence, And in verse 4 we read, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Now what you need to understand is that both of those verses are describing emotional responses that show disrespect in that culture towards those in authority. Of the statement there in in verse 3, commentator Philip Ryken explains, in that cultural context, a hasty departure from the throne room was really a sign of of disrespect, a way of turning one's back on authority. It was walking out in a huff, and doing so as a sign of disrespect to the one with authority over you. And verse 4 here is describing a similar response. When it pictures someone saying of the king, what are you doing? It's not describing someone simply asking a question for clarification or understanding. Instead, as Hebrew scholar Graham Ogden explains, A question like that was actually an open challenge to authority. It was another way of saying, who do you think you are? You can't tell me what to do. And here's the thing, beloved. We we all know about these kind of emotional responses. Uh, When you ask your teenager to do something, they blast back with, fine, I'll do it. Or when you and your spouse are having a quote-unquote discussion, And one of you storms out and slams the door. We all know that those emotional responses are revealing a lack of respect for that other person. And it was the same way when you left the king's presence in haste. Or or when you voiced your your emotional frustration with his decision. Your, Your negative emotional response was revealing what you really thought of his authority. So let me ask this question. What has been your emotional response to those in authority lately? What's been your emotional response? What have you posted on social media or, or said in front of your kids or, or griped about with your friends or neighbors or fellow church members? Have our conversations, beloved, have they been revealing a heart of wisdom, especially in our approach to authority? Or have they been revealing something else. And I know, I know this is challenging. We were driving to the church today and I was talking with my family saying, I've had to repent a lot lately because of this. And we get frustrated and stuff just comes out of our mouth. But here's the thing, beloved. Our emotional responses, our emotional rebellion against authority is going to keep giving us that hard face that hard countenance of the unwise 
kind of foolish. It might feel good in the moment, just let it fly. But it's not the way of the wise. And it's not the way of the wise partially because those kinds of repeated responses, those emotional rebellion, those kinds of repeated responses can lead you then to get into a place where you actively take your stand with those who are rebelling, actively rebelling against those in authority over them. In the middle of verse 3 here, look at it. In the middle of verse 3, we get this direct command. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. And here that evil cause is, is sinful and ungodly rebellion against those in authority over us. And, and when, we are, when we're frustrated with those in authority over us, our anger, our dissatisfaction, our distrust, it can lead us to that place. Again, we let it fester in us and we let that bitterness grow. It can lead us to a, a place of open rebellion against the authorities over us. Well, we can actually find ourselves in a place, of, as the text describes here, of taking our stand and an evil cause. Now, we're going to talk about this more next week, Lord willing. But I want to be clear on something this morning. Um, all of that we're talking about this morning when it comes to, to authority, all of this, it's not a call to become some kind of proverbial doormat. It's not a call to just accept evil authority and respond to it with, with, with apathy or just blind allegiance. In church history, we read about great Christian men, men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Helmut von Moltke, who took their stands against the evils of Nazi Germany. We know of men like Martin Luther or William Tyndall, who refused to submit to the corrupt authority of the Roman Catholic Church. But, but and this is really important, none of those men used worldly power and violence to take their stand against those in authority over them. In other words, they didn't fight evil with evil. They didn't fight evil with evil. They weren't, they weren't pragmatists who embraced a, an ends justifies the means philosophy. You wouldn't have found those men out riding in the street, lighting police cruisers on fire, or embracing violence and hatred to end violence and hatred. Instead, those men, with great wisdom, counted the cost of their stand and they stood their ground fundamentally on theological grounds. They took their stand, they stood their ground on theological grounds. And that issue, our, our theology, and how our theology drives our response to authority, that's another important aspect of what the preacher raises here in our text. You see, as he calls his readers here to obedience, he roots that obedience in a right theology. In other words, when it comes to our approach to, to the challenging authorities in our life, the preacher doesn't just ask us, how's your obedience? He also asks us, how's your theology? How's your theology? And here's the thing, theology always drives our actions. Theology always drives our actions. Our understanding of God and his ways always shapes our life. Now, sometimes it is a wrong understanding of God in his ways that shapes a, our life in a, a wrong direction, or, or sometimes we lose sight of God in his ways, and so we start acting as though our well-being is all in our hands or it's in the hands of those who are in authority over us. But when it comes to this issue of authority and, and really all issues of life, we need to make sure, beloved, we need to make sure that a, a right and good theology 
is guiding us. A right and good theology is driving us. And that's what the preacher reminds his readers here in our text. Look at the way that he puts this in verse 2. Look at verse 2. I say, keep the king's command because, because of God's oath to him. Keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. That's the way the English Standard Version puts the text. But if you have a, a, an NIV or a New King James Version, those translations, they put the emphasis here on an oath taken by the people to obey the king. If you have an NIV, you see that it, it renders verse 2 this way. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Now, now the Hebrew isn't incredibly clear here, and that could be the meaning of this text. But more likely, what this text is talking about is, is the way that the ESV translates it. It's talking about God's oath to the king. The preacher is, is most likely referencing God's divine appointment of the king to that position and how that should then drive the people's obedience to the king. In the Old Testament, we find several references to God's divine oath or, or his promise to the king. Uh, Psalm 89 talks about it. 2 Samuel 7 talks about it. And, and David himself, you remember, he would not raise his hand against King Saul because Saul had that position of authority. So, so David's restraint displayed his respect for God's oath to the king. And, and again, I, I think that's what's being talked about here in the text. I think it's a call to respect God's providential appointment. Now, in Old Testament Israel, there, there was an obvious working of God in the appointment of the kings. God himself appointed David and his line as rulers over Israel. He made promises and commitments, covenants with them. And so the people then needed to respect and honor that. They needed to see the king as representing God's own authority over them. They needed that theology to help guide their approach and their response. But here's the thing. Even with our secular modern government, we too should have a, a similar theological perspective. And I say that because of what the Bible teaches us. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 13, listen to this, Romans chapter 13, let every person, let every person, guess what, every person includes you, includes me, includes all of us, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. That's a pretty powerful text. That's Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. You see, what the Bible's showing us there is it wants us to think theologically about those in authority over us. Here, this preacher in Ecclesiastes 8, he's calling the people to obey because of God's oath to those in authority. And to the Christians there in the Roman Empire, Paul is calling for them to obey because God appointed them. God instituted those governing authorities. So, so whether it's an ancient king or, or a modern president, the leader is there because God sovereignly put him or her there. So brothers and sisters, we need to make sure that our approach to earthly authority doesn't lose sight of divine authority. We need to make sure that we, we're not losing sight of God in all of this. But even as I say that, I'll just confess, 
it can be really easy to do. It can be really easy to lose sight of God and his sovereignty and his plan in all of this. It's really easy for us to just focus on the, the foolish decisions or, or the frustrating approaches of those in leadership over us. We find, when we find ourselves being put upon or put out by the choices that they're making, it's really easy for us just to want to say, I'm so done with it. I'm so done with it. Following challenging authority is not easy. But remember, in ancient Israel, it wasn't easy to follow the king. It wasn't a cakewalk. Often those kings taxed the people too much. They made bad treaties. They were often prone to really selfish and foolish actions. I mean, just go read First and Second Kings. Just go read First and Second Chronicles. Sometimes it looks like a dumpster fire with those kings in leadership. And the same was true for, for the Roman Christians to whom Paul is writing. That Roman government could be extremely brutal. So, so it was not an easy task for those Roman Christians to honor what Paul is saying there in Romans 13. But, but here's the thing, as the Bible calls us, and it does from cover to cover, as it calls us to follow sometimes difficult uh, authorities, and, and it calls us to this ta- often difficult task of submission, it always, beloved, it always calls us to look above those leaders, to look above those leaders, and to see and to rest in God's ultimate authority over all of us. It calls us beyond our, our earthly perspective to a providential perspective. It calls us to a providential perspective. It does so by telling us things like this. This is Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he now, now, that text is not telling us that everything that a leader does is, is good and right and wise. And, and I can testify to that experientially because as a husband and as a father, as a pastor, I've done all kinds of dumb things. But what it does mean is all of those things are being used by God for his good and sovereign purposes. You remember the story of Joseph, don't you? Joseph suffered under some really bad leadership, whether that was his older brothers or Potiphar or his time unjustly imprisoned. But in the end, he could say to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me. You had an evil plan and an evil purpose, but God meant it for good. That's the way it is. Sometimes those in leadership are selfish. Sometimes they are are serving because of, of greed or lust for power. Sometimes they do evil things. But there is an ultimate authority ultimately over all of them. And he, the sovereign Lord God, has promised to cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And beloved, that's the perspective that we need to have. That's the perspective that we need to have. That's the the providential perspective that we need to have as the people of God. Now again, this doesn't mean that we should become apathetic or, or offer blind allegiance to evil and wicked people. But what that perspective does, that providential perspective, is it changes our heart. It changes our face. 
You see, the wise can have a gentle and joyful and radiant countenance because they know that even in the hard things, even in trusting, challenging authority, they can rest in the one who is ultimately in control. John Calvin once put it this way, ignorance of providence is the ultimate of all miseries, but the highest blessedness lies in the knowledge of it. Ignorance of providence is the ultimate of all miseries, but the highest blessedness lies in the knowledge of it. And what he is getting at is the joy that we can have in knowing that we know the one who is ultimately in control. And so, the way of wisdom, when it comes to challenging authority, those difficult authorities, is to obey the authority that God has placed over us, resting ultimately in God's authority over them and over us. And that approach will begin to change this countenance of ours. It will change that hardness and make our faces to shine. Now, Lord willing, uh, next week, we're going to work through more of this. Uh, we're going to look at more of the new nuances of this and understand more how, how God's working uh, in, in dealing with those challenging authorities. But as I close this morning, what I want to do is I just want to ask you with me to just examine your heart. Just examine your heart with me. And let me, let me just ask you some simple, but I think they're challenging questions. Let's give you some questions as I close. So here's, here's the questions. First, what has just been your general response to those in authority over us during this time? You know your heart. You know your attitude. Let's just ask the question. What's been your general response to those in authority over us during this time? And then I'll ask some follow-up questions. How has Scripture been guiding you to that response? Has that what's been going on? Has your response been guided by Scripture? How has been Scripture been guiding you in that response? Have you been leaning into God's peace? Have you been resting in his sovereign authority? Have you been trusting that he will work it all for good, even though it's really hard to see right now? How about this question? How has our mission and the gospel been shaping your response lately? How has our mission as Christians and the gospel been shaping your response lately? And what I mean by that is, have you been more focused on your testimony before the unbelieving world, or on your rights? Have you been more focused on your testimony or your rights? Let me say it this way, brothers and sisters. I've been thinking about this a lot. Wouldn't it be really beautiful if because of the, the gracious and kind and obedient responses of so many Christians across our country, Christians submitting to and praying for their leaders instead of complaining about them, wouldn't it be beautiful if we ended up seeing so many of these unsafe political leaders then drawn to Christ because of the gentle, gracious attitude of the Christians in our nation? Has that been your focus? Or has your focus been somewhere else? Again, I think we can find easy answers to these questions. And what I mean by that is, the preacher tells us, check your face and check your approach.
Has your face been hard or radiant? Has your approach been obedient or rebellious? Have you been like the wise or like the foolish? Beloved, we need to understand it's all rooted. It's all rooted in our theology. It's all rooted in our understanding of our God and his ways. Would you pray with me? Lord, I I do know that messages like this can be hard for a lot of us. Um, We have our our fears and our frustrations in our heart, and, and, and we can be hesitant to really embrace what you're calling us to through your word. But I pray that by your spirit, you remind us again of who we are ultimately trusting. We are trusting you, Lord. We are trusting the one who laid down his very life for us, to give us eternal life. Lord, you have given us everything. And you will not abandon us. You will not abandon us. You have not abandoned us, right? So help us to recognize that. Help us to recognize that you are doing something, something powerful and something good in this challenging season. And help us to recognize that our calling is not to control or to manipulate or to push away from what you have allowed into our life. Our calling is not to run away from that which makes our lives uncomfortable. Our calling is to walk forward in faith, resting in you, seeing the the mission field all around us, and being a light to this dark world that, that so needs to know your joy and your peace and your freedom. Lord, change our face. Change our heart. As we ask in your name. Amen.